Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy began to show us the next section of chapter 3 and the doctrine of salvation. Today we'll study about the righteousness that God provides for salvation. All right, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Romans. I'm reading from verse number 21 this morning, book of Romans, verse 21. And we're going to read down to verse number uh, 31, book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, and reading from verse number 21. Follow with me, please. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and justifier of him which believe in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jew only? Is he not also the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision by faith. Do we then void the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. So the Apostle Paul, by the end of verse number 20, he has man throwing up his hand and ear and saying, what do I do now? The law can't save me. I can't save myself. I'm under condemnation, under divine wrath. What must I do? And then Paul says, but now. The turning point in the entire epistle so far, but now. And he now begins to explain that what man could not do, what the law could not do, now God does by introducing a righteousness, which Paul says is not something new, it is something revealed and manifested. And we'll show you exactly what Paul means by that shortly. So I want to begin to look at this particular passage. And I want you to notice uh, just two simple things from verse number 21 this morning as part of our study. Uh, Before I begin to look at those two things, I would like to say that verse number 21, when I read it, but now the rights of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. I find that when you begin to look at the Pauline method of teaching, it's the most intriguing pedagogical method that is ever found. Uh, it's amazing. You, you, Paul had a, um, a skill. And part of Paul's skill was that again and again, he generously 
repeats himself. I repeat that. One of the great skills of any teacher is that you have to employ repetition. You know why? The truth has to be nailed into the head again. Nailed into it. Because if it's not nailed in, the enemy pulls it out. So that's why you find that the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, you'll find that he keeps going back to the same truth and he hammers it and hammers it again. For example, verse number 21. Have you read anything of that before in, in chapter, uh, chapters before? Uh, if you were following the chapters before, you'll see the Apostle Paul has already made the same statement that you find in this chapter. For example, look at what he said in, in, in chapter number one. What he said in his words. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he promised afore by the what? The prophets and what? Holy scriptures. He's saying that what he's talking about, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now, Paul has already said that in verse chapter number one, verse one. But look at verse 16 and 17. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the power of God and salvation to them that believe. For therein is what? The righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. He's again mentioning in verse 21 the same thing. There's a righteousness that God has given. So Paul is not embarrassed that he has to come back to deal with this matter again. Because Paul is trying to hammer home the truth. And he repeats himself in this chapter. Look, we have an enemy. And that enemy is the enemy of truth. And that enemy always tries to dislodge the truth from the mind. And that is why the Apostle Paul again has to come back to these basic fundamentals. Listen, truth doesn't change. We have to preach the truth again and again and again. Until finally it hits home. I have given you my own story, and I, I hate to repeat it again and again, but I've been to where a lot of you have been. I've been through profession after profession of faith. I'm telling you that. I've been through several professions of faith. But it never dawned on me what salvation was until one single day. It finally hit me what salvation was. I make no bones about this. I feel, I feel a little bit fearful sometimes for kids, because I hope they're not going through the same thing I've been through. I must have made about five or six professions of faith already in my life. Seriously, going forward and praying a prayer, by the time he's prayer, it never hit me what it was all about. I was just doing what people told me to do. And it was only the final day when that man came from St. Vincent that preached. It finally dawned on me. I was lost. But I was in church not even knowing I was lost. I was very comfortable in church. But it never dawned on me. I was truly lost. And that's why I think it's important for us to keep hammering the truth again. and hammering the truth. Look, I have read of preachers who were preaching. And after the invitation, they went forward and got saved. No jokes about that. Now here's a man preaching for years. Preaching like I would preach. But then it, it never dawned on him that he was lost. And how, what salvation is all about. And then that one time he's preaching, the Spirit of God convicts him. Now you know what it takes for a man to leave the public and come forward and say, I want to get saved. 
when you come to a passage of scripture like this and you see the details that Paul gives, we wonder when we present the gospel to people, are we doing justice? Or we just wonder, we just want them to, to bow their head and say a little prayer and come into the church. We have numbers. Look, I'm not interested in numbers. Have you ever had doubts about your salvation? Don't answer that question. I know one thing. The enemy doesn't want you to enjoy your salvation. And you can never enjoy your salvation as long as you have doubts. So he will always place doubts. But you need to be able to go back to a definite time in your life when God worked in your life and you came to faith and trust. But now, there must be a but now in your life. But now. I used to, but now. But now. If there's no but now in your life, I tell you, you're in real danger. There has to be a turning point in your life where everything changed. And you were never the same again. If you can't call and point to that turning point to me, I'm suggesting to you, you're in real trouble. You may remember this church. Doesn't matter, you're in real trouble. You're not in trouble with me, you're in trouble with God. But no. But no. I want to point out to you just two things in verse number 21 of Romans chapter 3. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is this. I hear it very clearly. The righteousness which the gospel offers to you is entirely of God. I repeat. The righteousness which the gospel offers to you that justifies you is entirely of God. It has nothing to do with your righteousness. Now this term, the righteousness of God, you find in verse number 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law has already been mentioned, I pointed out to you in chapters, um, chapter, one, chapter 1 and verse 17. When Paul speaks of the righteousness of God, he's talking about a righteousness that God has provided. A righteousness that God has made available to man. The gospel is the gospel of God. By the way, you almost would have thought that Paul would have said the righteousness of Christ. You almost thought that Paul would have said the gospel of, God, of Christ. But the gospel of God. Everything when it comes to salvation, focuses on God. Now I want to say to you that this is not accidental or incidental that Paul phrases it this way, the righteousness of God. See? Let me tell you a mistake that I think we make so frequently as evangelicals. In our zeal to be Christocentric, in our doctrine and our teaching, we often bypass God the Father as though He doesn't matter. Almost unintentionally, we bypass the Father and we go straight to... Everything we, we, we preach is about the Son in relation to salvation. But the Apostle Paul wants us to know that... By the way, salvation is Jesus Christ bringing you to who? The Father. See? So we, we must always remember that when it comes to this matter of salvation... 
God is at the center. And when I say God, I mean God the Father is at the center. It's He that provides the righteousness. He provides the righteousness through His Son. But it is He, God, that provides it. The Apostle Paul is underscoring this in this particular passage. And we need, as God's people, to understand that when it comes to salvation, it begins with God, it continues with God, and it ends with God. He is the primary person involved in this matter. By the way, let me say this. Sin is not just that you failed. Sin is not that you didn't reach a standard that you want to reach to. Sin is not just that, you know, you let down yourself, you let down your family. If you, if that's how you see sin, you've missed the whole purpose of sin. If you view sin in any other way than its relationship with God and its offense to God, you have a, you have an incomplete understanding of what sin is. You have an inadequate understanding. That is why David said, after David committed sin with Bathsheba, against thee, the only have I sinned. Now, of course, he sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against Bathsheba's husband. But primarily, sin must always be viewed from the perspective of your relationship with God. So when it comes to salvation, when you emphasize to people, it's not just that their sins are forgiven. You emphasize to the people, you're coming back into a relationship with God. No, we don't tell people that. All we tell people, your sins are forgiven. We don't emphasize that salvation is a return to God, to a relationship with God. That's why what happened with a lot of people. Let me tell you what happened with a lot of people. They make a little professional faith, and 20 years down the line, they said, I make Jesus Christ Lord of my life. They did not come into the Christian faith, understanding that it is now going back to a relationship with God. You're now being reconciled to God. It's now being restored. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis on being forgiven. And that's why we have such a lackadaisical type of Christianity. Such a low end type of Christianity. And that's why we need to come back to the book of Romans. And I, I, I'm serious about this. We need a new reformation. I don't know who will bring it about. But we need a new reformation where we call people back to the truths of scripture. And lay aside this sloppy presentation of the gospel that is so cheap. That has produced Christians that not much different from the non-Christian. So the essence... Of sin and rebellion against God and our estrangement from God. And the salvation that God offers is bringing a man back into that relationship with himself. If you're not into the relationship with God, you cannot be saved. As simple as that. Because that's what salvation is all about. So if you tell me, Pastor, I have no interest in a relationship with God. Well, sir, you don't belong to the church. That's the gospel. And that's why the Apostle Paul is, is spending this time detailing. Now here's a man at the end of himself. There's no hope. He can't turn. He's helpless. He, he, he can't turn right. He can't. There's no way to go. Then Paul but God. God offers you a righteousness. He is the one that engineers this great plan of salvation. You couldn't do anything. The law couldn't do anything. But God did it 
And he provided a salvation for you, a righteousness for you. But the question is this, you cannot have this righteousness without wanting to restore a relationship with him. That's why you want the gift, but you don't want the person who is the giver. The Apostle Paul, in dealing this whole doctrine of salvation, he starts with God and said that God has provided a righteousness for us. And I would like to say to you that when it comes to this matter of salvation, it is God that planned it. It is God the Father that sent his Son. It is God the Father that assigned the task of his Son. God is the architect. And you know how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Listen to these verses. All things are of God who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Now listen to that. All things are of God who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Salvation begins with God. It's all about God. It's about bringing you back into a relationship with God. Reconciliation. There's an estrangement between two people because there's some kind of rebellion or sin. When you are reconciled, it means that you're brought back together. That's what salvation is all about. Bringing man back to God. The Apostle Paul is making this clearly the point of this great doctrine of salvation. It must start with God. And then Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, For God, for Christ hath once suffered the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. That's the whole purpose. Bring us to God. So when we get saved, we must understand that it's a matter of bringing us back to a relation with God. There is no salvation without that. Now does that make sense? But you talk to the vast majority of people that come forward and make a decision. All they know about is that their sins are forgiven, they're going to heaven. It's never about the relationship with God. And that's one of the great tragedies of our method of doing evangelism. I think we're afraid of telling them to come back to God because they're not interested in God. They just want their sins forgiven. They want to go to heaven. But they're not really interested in God. So we, we, kind of, we kind of don't play that part of it. But that's the essence of salvation. But if you don't have a taste for God, a thirst for God, how then can you be saved? You tell me. I know the doctrine I'm teaching this morning a song abrasive to your ears because you're not accustomed hearing that. You're accustomed hearing, ask Jesus in your heart, and that's it. You're not, not hearing about what salvation is all about. That it's bringing you back into a relationship with God. It's, it's a righteousness that God provides, but that righteousness provides on the basis of the relationship. You can't have it without the relationship. How are you going to have it without the relationship? You tell me. So what Paul is emphasizing, the first thing, that when it comes to this doctrine of salvation, is that it starts with God, and it's a righteousness that God provides. But notice the second thing that Paul says here, 
Uh, it is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophet. The second thing that Paul emphasizes is that the righteousness that God has provided, the prophets and the law bear witness to. So as I said to you a moment ago, the gospel is not an afterthought in the mind of God. In other words, God didn't try the law, and when the law didn't work, God said, well, no, what am I going to do? No, it's not. long before the law, God had already pre-planned it and put it. Now, if he had not pre-planned it, he could not have put it in the law and the prophets. So this is not an after-plan in the mind of God. It is something that God had planned, absolutely planned, before man's, man even sinned. And the Apostle Paul is pointing out here that it is something that the prophets and the law witnessed to. And I want to deal with that for just a moment, if time would provide us to do with that. Where in the law and in the prophets does God bear witness to this gospel that he was going to bring? This righteousness that he's going to make available to man. Now I want to point out another thing here. The fact that Paul says the law and the prophets. Paul is referring to the entire Old Testament. The law is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The prophets are the last books of the Bible. So between the, the law and the prophets, everything. Be, so it's at the beginning and the end. Throughout the word of God. See, Old Testament. God bore witness to the fact that he would provide a righteousness and a salvation for man. But where do you find that? In the law and the prophets. I want to just point out a few things to you as far as that is concerned. Uh, let me point out, first of all, let's deal with the law for just a moment. And uh, find out where in the law there's witness to this gospel or this righteousness that would come. If I had time this morning, we can spend a lot of time going through the first five books of the Bible and show you clearly how God witness and God manifested that the Messiah would come and that this race would come. Let me mention a few examples for you just a moment. Both in prophecy and typology and symbolism, God showed in the law that this gospel was coming, this one would come, this Christ would come, this race would come. For example, the first promise is called the Proto-Evangelium given in the scriptures is Genesis 3.15 where he talks about the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. After man has sinned, he said that. I will put enemy between thee and the one between thy seed and thy seed and her seed will bruise the serpent's head and the serpent will bruise his heel. Of course, I don't have to tell you that that's the first biblical prophecy of the Messiah that Jesus Christ would come the serpent will bruise his heel. By the way, when you look at the, the, the picture of the cross, the normally you have that the, the nail goes through here and goes through here. That's not where it was. It went through here and went through here. Significant as well, uh, we often give the impression that when the nails went into his foot, it went through by, uh, here by his instep. It didn't go, it went right through his heel. Right from here, right through his heel, nailed to the cross. So in a very literal way, in Genesis 3.15, from the very inception of the fall, God said, the Messiah is going to come, serpent is going to bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. Now the fall had just taken place in Genesis chapter, but God is predicting in 3.15, the Messiah is going to come, the seed of the woman. Galatians chapter 3 or 4, I believe it says, 
born of a woman, made under the law. See, the word come. We also see it in the shedding of the blood, the clothed man. After man has sinned and Adam has run away from God and, and God speaks and Adam said, I was naked. God said, who told you were naked? Have you eaten the forbidden tree? And what does God do to clothe man? He kills an animal and he puts skins on man. The innocent has to die for the guilty. The law witnessed to that. See, The innocent Christ would have to die to clothe man with righteousness. But it's given in pictorial form in the, in, in the law. You see it in chapter 4 with uh, Cain and Abel. That there's only one way to be acceptable before God. Only one kind of offering, a blood offering. Cain offered the fruit of the ground. The best perhaps that he could produce. But it was rejected. Abel offered uh, the sheep of the land. He killed an animal, he sacrificed, and it was acceptable. So the law witnessed to the fact that the innocent blood would be shed. To be made acceptable before God. It was all pointing to one person who would come to Lord Jesus Christ himself. The law witnessed to this. And then we also find it in the promise given to Abraham. That in Abraham's seed the entire world would be blessed. Paul picks up the word in Galatians and said not seeds but seeds. And point that this seed is Christ. See? So you have in the very beginning of the fall. The very book of Genesis. God has already given you snapshots. The Messiah is going to come. The law came in 430 years after. All of these promises that were made. So the law, the, the salvation is not an afterthought. Righteousness is not an afterthought. The son is not an afterthought. He is even in the God's mind before the law comes. The apostle Paul is letting us know that this righteousness available to us is something that the, the, the law witnessed to. It's nothing new. This is what the Bible has been saying from beginning to the end. That one is coming. Righteousness is coming. It's not in you. It's not in the law. It's through Christ. That's the glory of the gospel. We see it also in Genesis uh, chapter 22. Where Abraham offers his son. And he's about to come down to plunge his son and kill his son. A voice from heaven said, do their son, their son no harm. And then he sees a ram. In the tickets. And that ram is sacrificed in place of Isaac. It's a substitutionary aspect of Christ's death. He would die in place of man. By typology, by pictorial, uh, the Lord is depicting this matter of, of, of salvation. But what about in the book of Exodus? That's part of the law too. Where do we find Reference to this righteousness, to this righteous one that would come, that God would provide. Well, he's found in the Paschal Lamb. You recall that the deaf angel would come and kill every firstborn child, but a lamb had to be slain. And, it's, and by the way, it's put on the doorpost and on the lentils. You ever saw the cross? Doorposts and lentils, see? Pointing again to the one that would come. It's witnessed by the law and the prophets. Then what about the serpent? You remember the people were being, uh, because of the rebellion, they sent serpents and they were being bitten and dying. And then the Lord said, take the serpent and put it on the pole. And whosoever looked. And then John says, as Moses lifted the serpent, even so must the son of man be lifted up. See? All pointing to Christ. He would come. He is the one that would be lifted up. 
witnessed by the law and the prophets. Let me give you another one. What about the manna? They're in the wilderness for 40 years. And God gives them angel food called manna. Manna for breakfast, manna for uh, lunch, manna for dinner. And what would you do if you had manna morning, noon, and night? Oh, yeah, same thing. Don't, don't let them. You grumble just like them. You just murmur like them. We can't get some steak. We want some quails. We want something different. And you remember what he said in John chapter 6? I'm the true manna that came down from heaven. The manna was symbolic of him. He's the one that would give life and sustain the life of the people. This is nothing new. This is in the mind of God. He not only tells you in prophecy, but also in symbolism. And typology he gives you. Then we come in the book of Exodus where Moses said, The Lord shall raise up unto you a prophet like unto myself. And then in Acts, it is quoted uh, by Stephen who says, This is the prophet that Moses prophesied about. Messiah is going to come. See? Witnessed by the law and the prophets. But let's leave now Genesis and Exodus. Let's go into Leviticus. Where is he there? Again, he's in all the sacrifices. He is the sin offering. He is the trespass offering. He is the meal offering. He is the day of atonement offering. In every single offering in the Old Testament, it's pointing to Christ. The one that would come and take our sins, pay for our trespasses. Bring peace with God. See, and bring about final atonement between man and God. The Apostle Paul is saying that this righteousness that God will provide in his son was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Both by prophecy and by symbolism and by typology, it is there for us. But could I say something else in the book of Leviticus? He's not only the sacrifice, he's the priest. He's the great high priest. You see the importance of spending some time with people and you're trying to witness it then rather than rush them into this thing that they're not ready for. They don't even know what it's all about. But you just want to get them to join the church to make a profession of faith. But they have no interest in these things. Where's their appetite? See. And then of course we can come to the book of Deuteronomy, etc., and we can also find that he's still there as well in the book of Deuteronomy because he is also the lawgiver. See, he's the one that gives you the Sermon on the Mount. See, he's the Moses of the New Testament. It's witnessed by the law and the prophets. I don't want to come back to this again uh, next time. I want to deal with the second point. But if we would leave the, the, the law now and we were to go through into the prophets again, we can find that there again they witness to him. Do you know that Daniel tells you the exact time our Lord would arrive on planet earth, the exact time he would die? Does anybody know that? The ex precise time. You ever wonder when the wise men came saying, where is he born, king of the Jews? That they called forth the high priest and the, and the scribes and they could tell him he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. The prophecy was there. That he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. They knew it. And of course, we come to Isaiah, which says, uh, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, you call his name Jesus. See? Here's Isaiah, 800 years before the Messiah come, telling you exactly, not only the place, 
in Micah, but also the exact method that would be born. Messiah would come. By the way, if we go into the Zacharias, uh, Zach- Zacharias, where we read about he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And they would part his garments. And again, all this is Bible prophecy. And by the way, when we go into the book of Psalms, which we haven't even touched yet. See? They shall look on me on whom they have pierced. Whoever heard of piercing before? It would not happen 800 years after that prophecy, but they would look at me who they pierce. And listen to his words, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? See? Again, recorded in the book of Psalms. See? The point I'm making here this morning, and I want to get across to that when it comes to this gospel, the apostle Paul tells us five things about this gospel. And the first thing Paul says about this is don't forget this gospel is all about God. He provides the righteousness. But the righteousness that he provides is nothing new. It is something that the law and the prophets witness to. The Apostle Paul is bringing clarity to this matter. And he sees it vitally important that men understand the gospel begins with God. See? I, my song somewhat Calvinistic sometimes to this church. But let me tell you this, see? There's not a single one of you in here that is saved that ever came to God until God worked in your life first. I don't care who you are. See? You don't wake up one morning and the whole world turning upside down instead of rushing forward to the kingdom. Well, rush into the kingdom. Rush in if you want to. God has to work in your life. Salvation always begins with God. And every one of us in here should be able to look back at that time in our lives when we could say with the apostle, but God, but no. There was a turning point that you must be able to point to. So, Pastor, I, I, can't, I can't point to any turning time. I was, I, was, I was born in a Christian home. I, uh, I went to Christian school, Pastor, as far as I know. I'm a Christian, but there's no turning point in your life. You can't point at the turning point that something happened radically to change your life. May I suggest you don't have the real thing? Does that frighten you? It should. But God, but God. Where are you this morning in respect to this matter? I trust that every one of us here today would be able to settle this one thing in our mind. Once, Listen, it makes no sense, as far as I'm concerned, for a person just go on and like drifting in life and, and not even sure where they're going, where they're headed. You go from one church to another church. You go from one pulpit to another pulpit. You're looking for something you haven't found. And I want to tell you what you haven't found. You haven't found God yet. You need God. You need real salvation. You need to understand that this is not something you find. God searches for you. God works in your life. God is bringing you back to a relationship with Him. It's not just about you. Lord, forgive me for my sins. And that's it. That's not what salvation is about. 
And this is life eternal that they know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It's about a relationship. That's the acid test this morning. We're going to close here and I'm going to pick up the, the other things that Paul says because I think it's important for us to stay and to get some clarity on this matter. Look, I've been this route before. I, I, I tried to warn you. I've been this route before. And it's the most discomforting thing to one day finally the light just hits you one time. You But wait a minute. You mean all this time I was lost? There's nothing more disturbing than that. See? And there's nothing more important to settle this issue. So I want to close this morning by simply asking you a basic fundamental question. Scouts on over your heart. Do you know God? Do you know him? Do you understand that salvation is about righteousness? About returning to a relation with God? Do you understand that? That's what it's about? It's not some insurance policy where you're not going to hell. But that's what we have, that's what we have condensed it to and summarized it to be. Where do you stand this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Sobering thoughts that he shares with us. Perhaps nothing that we're not keenly aware of. But things that we let slip. In our haste, in our hurry, in the pace of our lifestyle, we forget the main thing. Thank you for the Apostle Paul reminding us this morning that salvation starts with God. He's the one that provides the righteousness that we need. We have none in ourselves. The law cannot give it to us. Only God can provide it and make it available to us. But this is not a new doctrine, a new teaching. This is something testified to in the Old Testament, in the law, and the prophets, and in the Psalms. That one would come called the Messiah, who would die in man's place, be the sacrifice on the altar as a substitute. That not only that our sins be forgiven, that's a small part of it but that we be reconciled to God into a relationship with him. Our estrangement and alienation is gone. That's the meaning of what eternal life is all about. But sadly, it is so missing in our method of evangelism. Lord, we soften the gospel, we peddle the gospel to get a decision. We never fully explain to them what this is all about. And many times they have no real desire to restore relationship with you. They have no real concern about being reconciled with you. Their only concern is to say they're forgiven and that they're on their way to heaven. This is a distortion of the gospel.
May we be faithful to the truth of Scripture. And even though this may not be an appealing presentation to people, Lord, it's the Holy Spirit that does the work, not us. He must bring us to that point in our lives. And help us, therefore, not to think that we need to somehow help him in the process. No, we to present truth. He's to take the truth and apply it to the hearts of people. He brings about the turning point in their lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the emphasis the Apostle Paul gives. And help us as your people, having understand, understood the truth, to find the comfort of that truth in our lives. And when the enemy assails us, may we be able to say with the Apostle Paul, but no. May we call him back to that point that it used to be that way, but it's no longer this way because this is what God has done. Father, if there's anyone here this morning whose heart has been stirred through your truth, that the truth has finally dawned, the scales will come from the eyes and they really see what this thing is all about. Would you work as no man can work? Allow your word and your spirit to bring that transformation in that person's life. To bring that person to God. To reconcile that person to God. May he or she understand clearly this is what the gospel is all about. Bless this time as we leave. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us more about this righteousness needed for salvation. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street, in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.